belongs to my they don't want to get a nasty tweet from Donald Trump. I wish he'd stay off Twitter. I don't care. I don't care anymore. Well, either way. Why are you here? You're supposed to be asleep. I am here determined to stop this future atrocity. It's just not a natural thing we would do in our society. You don't see that. Yes. Two things that have only never let me down in this entire country's history. The First Amendment and Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty. Let me tell you, the one that matters is me. Well, uh, Jack Armstrong and Joe Getty, who host the popular uh, radio talk show, ask the same question of their listeners, and here's their response. He made me sit and watch an entire documentary about shark attacks. It wasn't at that point a business meeting, it was just watching Shark Week. Yeah. I give you America itself. This is Ed McMahon. And now, here's Armstrong and Getty. Basement of the Hoover Building at Stanford University. Hoover, senior? Deep within the bowels of a giant, tall, uh, phallic symbol on Stanford University, that is the Hoover Building. Come smell the economics. We have uh, a live presentation of the Armstrong and Getty program today under the tutelage of our general manager. The great thinkers of Western society, including ourselves. And, and, I've... Been rehearsing it all night. I knew I'd lose my nerve when I got to the moment of truth. And Starby Daniels. You know, um, it's pretty interesting that we happen to be at Stanford for this, uh, like, um, super high-level intellectual conferences all day long with a bunch of uh, smart people. Some of the smartest people in the world. Indeed. And uh, mm-hmm. and us. And, uh, and, and, and we're here today on the very day that the dominant news story is a porn star and the president and uh, that whole thing. It's just, I don't know, I find it ironic. It is. It clearly is. On the other hand, we were sitting last night at a, uh, a dinner, cocktails, etc. What, what great minds do when we get together. And... <laughs> And it was funny, there are a bunch of people from the national media there, too, and they're in the position of having to pretend there's some sort of significance to the Stormy Daniels thing. And I thought, what a luxury we have. We can just be completely straight with you. It's a porn star. It's funny. She has big boobies, and they're telling secrets about sleeping with each other. Well, and that's it. It, about it. If you believe her, it's definitely more than that. If you believe her, because um, last night dropping the bombshell that she was actually threatened her and her ch- child. If that actually happened, that's a big deal. I don't believe it happened, but if it did happen, that's a big deal. And certainly, if the president had anything to do with ordering that, I mean, that would be huge. You know, she's certainly better at her job than I would be, but I'm pretty good at bull-ass, and that struck me as bull-ass. It absolutely was so perfect, such a perfect movie threat scenario. It'd be a shame if anything happened seemed a it's little... A, it's a pretty little girl you got there. be a shame if something happened to her mother. On the other hand, maybe it's a cliche because it's effective. I don't know. Um, I, I will say this. I think most people, as I'm bouncing around the uh, Internet and taking an opinion, most people f- found her more likable and credible than they thought she would be. That's the way I it took her. Mm-hmm. She sounds very, very believable. Hmm. Um, well, because all the other, certainly all the stuff about the sex and everything happened. So that'd be one reason why it's believable. I think it all happened. Right. You know. Yeah. Um, she's, she's, she's much more likable and credible than I expected her to be. Uh, 
Um, Small town girl from Louisiana. I think it's uh, it's 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 going to be interesting to see. I asked a whole bunch of people this at this dinner last night because there was a guy there from CBS and the Washington Post and people from Fox and and NBC and all these. I said, "What if 60 Minutes gets like the biggest ratings they've had in five years after off of this? <laughs> what are they going to do then? <laughs> what does that do to the 60 Minutes brand? Wow! You know, they had the the, the leader of Saudi Arabia a couple of weeks ago. If they get 10 times the audience for the porn star, I don't think you're going to get more leaders of Saudi Arabia." And less porn stars. Right. If I know anything about the way the business works. Right. Yeah. Well, they've never been above, you know, the pop star profile or whatever. It's kind of a nice uh, flavor for them, but... I'm not sure I want that flavor week after week. But so we've got more of that in some of the clips uh, from last night. And some great guests this morning. Um, some of the smarty pants that are here. at the, Is that what they call themselves? Smarty pants? I believe the so. people that are here at the uh, Stanford uh, Hoover get-together. <laughs> They're fellows. That's right, they're fellows. What a nice bunch of fellows. Uh, so let's introduce everybody in the squad. All of us who uh, Stanford alum. Let's start with Michelangelo, our board operator, uh, who presses toggles and pulls levers. How are you this morning, Michael? Uh, good. Uh, pretty good. Anyway, hope you can hear me okay. Um, yeah. You sound flustered, uh, Michael. You okay? Oh, no. I, I'm just a little disappointed. I wasn't invited. You know, I, I guess I'm just not smart enough to get on these panels. <laughs> you you know. didn't get our letter that said thank you for your application, etc., no. etc.? I was actually I, in the in the room last night wondering, am I the stupidest person here? <laughs> That's what I was thinking. I'll bet I am. <laughs> oh, boy. That's all right. What are you going to do? Oh, um, Somebody's got to be. <laughs> there's Positive Sean, whose smile lights up the room, who is here with us on the campus of Stanford University. How are you, Sean? Which I'm pretty sure why I was brought was so you can answer no to that question, because I, too, was in that room last night. But uh, I was staying in a hotel, and the hotel has an in-room safe, and I love staying in hotel rooms that have in-room safes, because, oh, man, the TV remote, one of the lamps <laughs> is in there now. I put one. I don't think I can take, like, if I just move the, the $4 bottle of water into the safe and don't actually drink it, they can't charge me for that right like it's just it's still in the room i didn't take it like what's the code i don't know i put my the safe i put my socks in there just so nobody if they broke into the room in the middle i could possibly get my socks yeah so yeah you know fun is all around you people you just gotta look for it (laughs) there's marshall phillips who does our news every day how are you marshall i am feeling very challenged this morning while some live in ivory towers i was dealing with imminent danger Uh, Turkeys again? (laughs) No. Oh, no, dude. No. Very large night of the open road sitting by the front door. Huge guy sitting and mumbling to himself. Oh, boy. Way to start the day. I did not have a sandwich or a dollar to give him, so I just tried to (laughs) slide around him. You're talking to the right person here, having recently spoken at a city council meeting and other uh, city get-togethers about this issue. You're making projections about that person that are unfair based on his looks. Not hearing a lot of compassion. Not hearing a lot of compassion there. To, to just look at that gentleman in the middle of the night and be afraid. That's a problem with you, not with him. According to the utopians <laughs> who show up to these meetings I've been attending. A now, large, if you'll excuse me, I must water my unicorn. <laughs> a large, unwashed guy mumbling by the front doors. Hey, Marshall, oh, I just unwashed is him. a judgment. Yeah, that's a judgment. Oh, People geez. are allowed to not wash. Give me a break. <laughs> He's still out there, Marshall, waiting for you. Just oh, so you geez. know. I got to go get the papers. Him. Oh, man. I know. Oh. I know. So, I, honest to God, I should talk about this at some point. I was at a city council meeting talking about this because yeah. business owners are unhappy when there are people like that hanging around in the doorway because there's a lot of customers who won't go into a business yep. when there's somebody like that hanging out in the doorway. And the utopians are trying to make the argument, well, that's the problem with the customer. They shouldn't be making that sort of judgment about someone like that. Would they feel the same way if a businessman was standing there or a college student? 
No. You know why? Boy, you have to defend, you have to defeat, rather, all of your instincts. All of your right. human instincts to be utopian. You have to ignore all of human history and 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 just your own psychology. A person you have to ignore uh, reality. A person that's likely homeless has nothing to lose. Quite possibly messed up on something, right? And you're not supposed to be the least bit concerned. I, I gotta know. tell you, it's I wouldn't crazy. feel threatened by a college student or a businessman. This guy well, was uh, threatening. Uh, do you sound? I hear. Like Sean said, I don't hear much compassion. Click uh, your fingers. Uh, all right. Wow. I'm glad you're on my side. You're an old hippie and you're on my side. Oh, yeah. I mean, for this, crying out loud. In this case, yes, indeed. Wow. Man. Are you sure I wasn't the former program director? <laughs> <laughs> kind of big guy, mumbles. <laughs> sounds familiar. I don't know. <laughs> uh, boy. Oh, boy. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty on this. It is Monday, March 26th, the year 2018. We are Armstrong. We're, we're setting you straight in 21 oh, yeah. We're Armstrong and Getty, and we approve of this program. <laughs> All right, let's begin officially now. According to FCC rules and regulations and the student code of Stanford University, at Mark. I remember arriving, and he was watching Shark Week. He made me sit and watch an entire documentary about <laughs> shark attacks. It wasn't, at that point, a business meeting. It was just watching Shark Week. Yeah. Did you have sex with him again? No. Did he want to? Yes. How do you know he wanted to? Because he came and sat next to me and, you know, touched my hair and put his hand on my leg and re- referenced back to how great it was the last time. How did you get um, out of it? Well, I'd been there for like four hours. And so I then was like, well, before, you know, can we talk about what's the development? And he's like, I'm almost there. I'll have an answer for you next week. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, um, I guess call me next week. And I just took my purse and left. They watched Shark Week. That was my favorite part of the entire interview. The least consequential part of the yes. entire interview, but that was my favorite part. If you can't close with Shark Week, you gotta. You gotta I don't know if there's any help in you. The, the whole thing. How do you know he, he thought he wanted to have sex? Because <laughs> you because a porn star came to my hotel room. That, that was my indication that perhaps we're going to have sex. No, I, you think I invited you here to watch Shark Week? Now listen. Anderson, I appreciate that you're a homosexual man, but among us heterosexuals, it's pretty clear if we're in a hotel watching sharks and one of us wants to have sex. I mean, it's we make it pretty clear. <laughs> anyway, what are other headlines, Marshall Phillips? Now, Stormy does 60 Minutes Indeed threats and sex. He got to March for Life organizers telling lawmakers welcome to the revolution and Facebook users shocked even more to learn how much data the company has on them. Stories coming up minutes from now, Armstrong and Getty. We're walking in the steps of Chelsea Clinton and Tiger Woods here at Stanford University. We are. Among others. Condoleezza Rice. I don't know. Name all your favorites. I've forgotten about Chelsea. How'd she get in? She ain't so smart. I think if your dad's president, you get in wherever you want to go. Um, so we got a couple of great guests coming up a little bit later. And, you know, the usual fun of the Armstrong and Getty show. Um, we're, we are, we're actually in the basement of the Hoover building. Yeah, we ought to put up a link, uh, Hanson, to the, the Hoover Tower if people want to take a look at us. And we're uh, the, the basement. No, sir. We're at the very, very top. You Did, must have taken a wrong turn. you guys get your skull rings yet? They're in the rotunda. They're coming. Yeah. it's uh, Well, it's cool. It's cool. I don't feel out of place at all. <laughs> uh, so stay tuned to the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The conscience of the nation. The Armstrong and Getty Show.
So we're um, they've got a broadcast studio here <clears throat> on Stanford University. So I assume this is the very room where uh, John F. Kennedy and uh, John Steinbeck used to do their morning radio show back in the day. As I continue to list famous Stanford alum, uh, people that have gone to this very school, where we are today. You know, we were talking about this as we were coming in, that uh, some of my, some of Little D's friends are like valedictorians and had uh, extracurriculars out the yin-yang and took 50 college-level classes in high school, and, the, and they couldn't get into, like, UC Berkeley and, and Stanford's and stuff like that. I mean, they're brilliant, brilliant kids. I just I don't get the college thing at this point. Oh, the whole I thing. Get who gets into don't, what? Don't spend any. Time. I, I don't think a person should spend any time thinking about it. It's all crap. It's all crap. The whole thing is crap. As it's far crap. As the whole it's thing crap. is crap. It's a big money making operation. Let me hear uh, hit you with some of the uh, famous Stanford alum, just off the top of my head. Rachel Maddow went to Stanford. Did not know that. Bright gal, no Ted, doubt. Ted Danson. Hey, now you're talking. Raymond Burr. Raymond Burr. <laughs> Wow. Uh, Reese Witherspoon Witherspoon went to Stanford. Wow. Of course, John Elway. Of course. Uh, Elon Musk. Wow. I didn't know that John F. Kennedy Jr. went to Stanford. I had forgotten that. (laughs) You remember when I uh, insisted that I be put on the list of notable alums for the community college (laughs) I I went to after graduating? (laughs) List somewhat less auspicious than Stanford's. I'm willing to admit that, but what are you going to do? Big fish, small pond. It was great. If you're a guy like me who gets the imposter syndrome just because you have a suit on, you feel like everybody (laughs) can tell you're a fraud. When you're on the campus of Stanford University in a suit, you definitely have it. Yeah, yeah. You want to do some mailbag? Sure. We could do a little. Uh-huh. Yeah, why not? Uh-huh. Do need to talk about the Stormy Daniels interview because I watched the whole thing and I've got my comments. So I want to make make sure we fit that into the show. She was way more uh, likable and believable than I ever expected her to be. Um, but the question still remains: What is this all about? If it's not just about h- how you get the biggest paycheck? Which seems pretty clear to me well, that's what's going on. Right. It was quite the lineup for 60 minutes. You had Stormy Daniels and then the Greek freak Giannis at Tempokupo. Yeah, it was a little more TMZ <laughs> than they usually are on uh, 60 Minutes. Interesting. I missed that. Uh, I'm sure we'll be playing lots of clips for folks who didn't enjoy Ms. Daniels. Uh, Including the money clip I assume Marsha will have in his news about the threat. That That's the only thing that makes it a story to me. If that actually happened, you got a big deal. Aside from that, it's just uh, someone who had sex with a rich guy wanting to get as much money as possible. Right. Right. Well, okay. So, a uh, nice note from Scott here. He sent along a picture as if Trump didn't have enough troubles. Now a photo of him is emerged... Uh, now a photo of him with two prostitutes has emerged. I've not seen this. And there he is sitting next to Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell. Hi! Hi, oh, It's a commentary on modern politics. <laughs> yeah, I picked right. that up because I'm here at Stanford. Right. Yeah, yeah. Maybe you are Stanford material. <laughs> Why don't you pick up a mop, take care of that bathroom, and we'll talk about it later. Uh, weekly shower thoughts. Why not? Uh, watching the cashier at the Chinese restaurant turn around and yell something that you don't understand at right. the kitchen right. is an essential part of the Chinese food dining experience. No doubt. Yeah. <laughs> China. That's funny. And they always seem mad. And I always think, like, is it, is it not in time? Or? Right. Right. Hey, stupid white guy's here for his huge order. He's plenty fat, too. I'll bet he eats it. Uh, 32 33. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Uh, the, the hide and seek is a seemingly innocent game when in reality we are teaching our children the skills needed to survive if they are being hunted. Wow. Wow. You know, I never, 
I don't know why this never occurred to me. I've played hide-and-seek a thousand times with my kids. Unfortunately, the oldest one, it's kind of can't happen anymore. And uh, and the youngest one is just about to age out of it at age six. In the house, anyway, because we're running out of places you can hide at that age. Because, <laughs> you know, when they're little, you can hide anywhere. It's It's all about them feeling secure that no matter what happens their parents will come find them. Wow. That's what I was told by a therapist. Interesting. Interesting. That's why kids love playing hide-and-seek. It's a reminder that they are safe, that no matter how hard... She said, so the key is you always find them. The I can't oh. find you and not finding them yeah. is is not like letting them win. Like like when I let them outrun me. That's not a cool thing. Right. Like you let them win at, at checkers or something like that. How they, interesting. They want you to always be able to find them and rescue them. Well, I wonder what damage we did to Delaney then, because uh, me and Caitlin and Declan, we would look for her, and she was A, so small, and B, so flexible, she would, like, put herself in a drawer. Sam's, and we yeah. we seriously could not find Sam her. Sam has been that way, too. I have to resort to making them laugh. Okay, I'm going to make you laugh. Right. <laughs> toot! Toot, toot! <laughs> and they start giggling, and I find them. I was going to say, what do you do? Your hilarious riff on Kant that yeah. you do that, uh, that's so me, big at Stanford. It took me like three years of playing hide-and-seek with my parents to realize that when they said, okay, you ready? And I would shout back, yes! Oh, no! <laughs> giving up my location. Oh, wow. I was like, wait, wow. they've yeah. been tricking you're, me this I've, whole you're, time. You're not Stanford material. <laughs> I've been duped. Uh, everybody would get so excited if we found life on other planets, but we show very little respect for the countless other life forms on Earth. Ah, oh, there you go. There you go. I'm part of the environmental science program here We dis- Stanford. We discover new species, I think, weekly. Uh, it's usually in a rainforest or something like that, and nobody cares. Mm, I found care. it on another planet. People go uh, crazy. Yeah. You care. You yeah, care. I do. Slightly different I, kind I of frog. People. You get all excited about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, if boys <laughs> screamed at girl bands the way girls scream at boy bands, it would be terrifying and hilarious. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, so Jack has made not one but two Harry Potter references so far this morning. That's because Stanford looks like Hogwarts. <laughs> right? Right? So you'll really enjoy this one. Harry Potter was a trust fund jock who married his high school sweetheart and became a cop. Wow. That's <laughs> that's summing it up. That's pretty much it. Yep. Yep. Uh, the, here's a good one. Here's our libertarian weekly shower thought. The line between drugs will destroy your life and we'll destroy your life if we catch you doing drugs is apparently a blurred one. Mm. Yeah. That is the long struck me as a bit of wisdom. Now, why don't we do one more and then we'll start to keep talking about the stuff we're talking about. Uh, Oh, this is good. Uh, earlier people used to write personal stuff in their diaries and get mad when people read them. Now people write personal stuff on social media and get mad when people don't read them. Wow! <laughs> that is interesting. Exhibitionist America will be the title of my presentation. I'm trying to become a fellow here at Stanford. Not a senior fellow. I'm realistic. 60 Minutes gives... Whatever that is. 60 Minutes gives two segments to Stormy Daniels, just like they did the new leader of Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. Appropriately. Um, I'm guessing they're going to get huge ratings out of it. It mostly was just hearing about a, an old man's affair with a porn star, except for one nugget, of course, that will make all the difference in the world. Marshall will have that coming up for you. Next, here from the campus of Stanford University, you're listening to The Armstrong and Getty Show. Any time on the campus of Stanford University? I have indeed. I love it. It's a great place. 
I'd say. And it's, it is uh, pretty. Pretty impressive. Well, yep. it ought to be. It cost a gazillion dollars to go here. That's what I understand. Ah, but there's plenty of good learning and teaching going on, Jack. It's a fine institution. Well, I'm sure that's all true. I don't want to get thrown out before we do <laughs> yeah. our thing, because you're being a little critical, frankly. It'd be a little the, negative. It'd be in the top handful of impressive universities on planet Earth, right? Uh, oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. Oh, i yeah. got to tell you, when I would visit there, I could just smell the money wafting through the trees. It was great. Well, of course, Palo Alto is the world capital of tiny houses worth a million dollars. Yeah, indeed. Yeah, speaking of money. Um, yeah, if you've never been to Palo Alto, because we're broadcasting all over the place, it's pretty interesting because you can be driving down the street and there's a sign that says Amazon that way, Google that way, and they mean the company, mm. like some of the biggest companies on the entire planet. It's just, it's amazing. Uh, let's get the news now, Marsha Phillips. Now, President Trump is tweeting this morning, quote, more, 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 so much fake news, never been more voluminous or more inaccurate, but through it all, our country is doing great. Don't know if he's referring specifically to the Stormy Daniels 60 Minutes interview where she outlined... Oh, I guess he may be. ...where she outlined the details of her alleged affair with Trump at one point. For some reason. At one point, claiming she was intimidated into keeping silent about her alleged tryst with the president. I was in a parking lot going to a fitness class with my infant daughter. I was taking, you know, the seats facing backwards in the back seat, diaper bag, you know getting all the stuff out and a guy walked up on me and said to me leave Trump alone forget the story and then he leaned around and looked at my daughter and said it's a beautiful little girl it'd be a shame if something happened to her mom and then he was gone you took it as a direct threat absolutely I was rattled I remember going into the workout class and my hands were shaking so much I was afraid I was gonna drop her she didn't go to the police because she was scared yep um, you know uh she didn't know what to do. Uh, she says she's never seen the person again, but she would recognize him immediately if she ever saw the guy. I'm sorry, when, what was the timetable? When did this happen, allegedly? That was 2011. 2011? Yeah. Um, that's... Hmm. Well, that, was, that was right about the time the article, the uh, interview was going to come out. Right. So, the... Like I said, uh, she, she is much more believable and likable than I expected her to be. I went uh-huh. in expecting her to hate her and, making her and expecting her to sound like a phony, which she didn't sound like a phony at all. But um, as, So I turned on MSNBC this morning because I was interested in how right. they, 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 they were going to handle it. Because they're the Trump is the worst person on earth show every single day. And Joe Scarborough had the same feeling that I had, uh, apparently watching that, that uh, what is this about if it's not about just making more money? I mean, what what is behind all this? Is there anything other than, I just want to make as much money as possible? Why are you telling this? And I thought Joe Scarborough saying that was pretty interesting. Well, I'm the, glad he's caught up to me. The uh, uh, I don't think there's anything to this other than the tawdry nature of, oh my God, the president cheats on his wife. Except for the threat. If the threat is real, then that, that's huge. That's a, I mean, that, that would be a very, very, very big deal. But how do you explain holding on to that piece of information till now? Why do you reveal it on 60 Minutes that way, unless you're just trying to build interest and everything like that? That's not yeah. the way you handle personal safety. That's not the way you handle legal situations. Right. You don't tease them out and put them on the, the most uh, the most watched platforms. And the fact that her lawyer teased out, what was it, 24 hours before 60 Minutes, that picture of the DVD? Right. 
You know, have you seen that? Yeah. So the, the teasing yeah. the idea that you know we might have a video of this or whatever. Right. That's not the way you handle serious legal problems just because you're standing up for what is good and right in America. And death threats as you're holding your little child and the rest of it. Yeah, you don't play games with that stuff. That's see, that's the problem. And her her lawyer slash PR manager is obviously really really good at building interest. Is it possible? That she's gotten past that threat and now just views it as part of the marketing campaign and it's real? I suppose so. But Boy, don't don't have a stretch. somebody threaten to kill you and your right. child part of a marketing campaign to make more money. That just seems weird to me. Uh, you should be sitting down with, uh, with lawyers and law enforcement people to try to figure out how to handle it, not TV producers. And I, liked, uh, I liked Anderson Cooper's follow-up question. After he said, that's a beautiful baby, it'd be a shame if something happened to her mother. Did you take that as a threat? No, I thought he wanted to go out sometime. What the hell do you think? Anderson Cooper also asked her last night, why is she speaking out now? I was perfectly fine saying nothing at all. But I'm not okay with being made out to be a liar or people thinking that I did this for money. And people are like, oh, you're an opportunist, you're taking advantage of this. Yes, I'm getting more job offers now. But tell me one person who would turn down a job offer making more than they've been making, doing the same thing that they've always done. Yeah, I don't understand that argument no. completely. Yeah. Um, I, do, I did appreciate that from the very beginning. She said, I want to make it clear. This was completely consensual. Yeah. I, you know, I never felt uncomfortable, blah, blah, blah. I'm not one of those people. This isn't that story. And she said that repeatedly during the interview. Um, so you willingly had sex with the old guy, which you were disgusted by, as you pointed out with Anderson Cooper, because you thought you were going to be on The Apprentice. My, that's a charming story. Well, and she doesn't want anybody to think she's doing it for the money, but who wouldn't? Because I'm making a lot of money. What? I mean, you, she could be doing it for the money for the money, and Trump threatened her. That is possible. Right. It's an interesting way to roll it out. I mean, if somebody made a threat of my life, the last thing on my mind was, how do I profit from this? Right. Somebody threatens my child. What's the best way to, I know, I'll go on television and say, this Friday night, I've got a secret for you about my child. Stay tuned. <laughs> Another story over the weekend. The young activist behind Saturday's March for Our Lives, the anti-gun violence marches, turning out hundreds of thousands of people in cities across the West and around the nation. And That's the, a pretty impressive turnout. It was indeed. They're now turning towards getting young people registered to vote and electing lawmakers who will make the kind of gun law changes they want to see. Rallies inspired by students from Parkland, uh, Florida, like Cameron Kasky, who lives or who rather was in Washington, D.C., saying... To the leaders, skeptics, and cynics who told us to sit down and say, stay silent, wait your turn. Welcome to the revolution. Oh, boy. Kasky is saying, though, their biggest challenge is to actually get young people to turn out and vote. The youth of America needs to step up and start voting. You'll see the statistics. It's an embarrassing turnout. One in five people in the last election showed up in the 18 to 29 demographic. Oh, yeah. That'd be a, that'd be a game changer if you actually ever did motivate young people to vote. Yep. It would change 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 everything overnight. And God help us all if that ever happened. <laughs> did you guys see the... Goodbye, sweet America. Did you guys see the one girl who, uh, th- through a bout of nerves or something, had a bit of a food reversal midway through the speech? <laughs> I, I did, did not, not see oh, that. Yeah, yeah. That's unfortunate. She, she got nervous and yacked while yeah. she was talking. And then she huh. pops back up and says, I just threw up on national television and I feel great, or something like that, and just plows ahead with her speech. Well, yeah, I think we're all familiar with the post-yak adrenaline surge. Oh, yeah. You feel much better. <laughs> 
It's good to be young. Also, you bounce right. back quickly. Anyway. Right. Hey, everybody! Anybody got a breath mint? Let's uh, let's uh, continue. You're my age. You lay on the stage and moan for quite some time. <laughs> All right, that's a wrap. That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. That's right. The Eagle of Freedom. We should have brought the Eagle of Freedom with us to Stanford University. We're broadcasting live today. Who's our guest we got coming up next? I know we got a couple of smart people. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk to Scott Atlas, who is a great thinker on health care and dismantling this behemoth of government involvement and nobody knows what they pay for health care and the rest of it. He has some concrete steps, the, the stuff we can do about it. He's got the first seminar this morning that we'll be attending. Um taken on health care holy cow uh, among other stuff coming up more stormy daniels a little bit later stay tuned to the armstrong and getty show armstrong and getty the conscience of the, of nation. the nation the armstrong and getty show Question of our times. Can you deal with something like, for instance, health care? Maybe the single biggest driver of our financial ruin in this country? In a Stormy Daniels world. That might be the question of our time. Well, the answer is no. <clears throat> Thank you for asking it. We'll uh, delve yeah. a little more deeply into, well, maybe there's hope for yes, but probably no, with Scott Atlas, who is a senior fellow at Stanford University's Hoover Institution, member of Hoover Institution's Working Group on Healthcare Policy. He's written a number of fine books, including Restoring Quality Healthcare, a six-point plan for comprehensive re- reform at lower cost. Mr. Atlas, how are you, sir? Great. Happy to be here. So we've often said this about the tax code, and I think it's true of uh, America's uh, health care situation. No sane human being would ever design a system uh, such as we have right now. It's impossibly convoluted and bloated and complex. Where do we go from here? Well, I think uh, you're right. It wasn't really designed in a single swoop anyway. It was piecemeal uh, regulatory environment added and added and added in various attempts to change things. The way to go right now is to recognize the key fact that we need to have medical care prices go down by the way they that things go down prices go down in every other good or service in the united states and that is by incentivize consumers seeking value because if you try to push prices down in any other way you impact the supply or the quality or both and that that's not what we want here what we know from any any other uh, good or service, like the supercomputer you have in your pocket that's called an iPhone, is that if the government started supplementing the price or capping the price, that price would never come down to the level that it's at right now, and its quality would suffer. That's not what we want. And obviously the situation is right now, if uh, my appendix bursts, I don't have any idea what it costs to uh, fix it. And I'm not even sure I could describe the path my dollar takes from my pocket to the surgeon or the hospital. It's so I, complex. I might pay a bill at some point of a couple hundred dollars or a couple of thousand dollars, but what the total cost was, I have no idea. I have, you know, and that whole thing. Yeah, I mean, the, the, what, what, what has happened uh, as kind of the unintended consequences of well-intentioned moves is that consumers have been shielded from uh, the price, from out-of-pocket payment by the type of insurance that we have. And so minimizing that and shielding people 
makes them not even know or care what it costs because, quote, someone else is paying. And when you don't care what something costs, there's no, no value seeking. There's no concern and the prices are never responding or even subjected to, to the typical market uh, impacts that we, we know. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, what, what has been happening with Obamacare specifically was that it really essentially doubled down on these kind of uh, perverse incentives that further shielded people from caring about the price and added regulatory mechanisms onto things like insurance that created higher prices uh, higher pre- higher higher premiums for insurance, uh, less choices of insurance, but also less doctors that accept the insurance, and the whole system is far worse than it was pre Obamacare. We have to say something else that really escapes uh, attention and is really not even admitted by people on the left, and that is that the quality of the U.S. health care pre Obamacare was the number one healthcare in the world. And why do I say that? That's not a blind assertion like those who uh, push for something like single-payer. It's based on the data from the medical literature. And if you look at the data in peer-reviewed articles in the medical literature, you'll see that the United States system delivered the best survival from all chronic diseases that are serious, the best survivals from cancer, the best access to care for chronic diseases, the quickest access to specialists who are the mainstay of medical care since, I mean, this is not 1950 anymore, the quickest access to life-changing surgeries, the best outcomes from those surgeries, the quickest access to the newest drugs that are important for the, the survivals that we've seen over the past half century. And, in fact, the U.S. system is the center for the world's innovation in healthcare. This escapes the, the uh, debate somehow. Somehow we are supposed to say that, oh, the U.S. healthcare system is bad, therefore it needs dramatic change. And that stems from really two statistics that are really severely flawed. One is the life expectancy statistic, and the second is infant mortality. And both of these statistics, although they have some meaning, are really not direct uh, direct uh, reflections of healthcare quality. In fact, there are dozens of inputs into life expectancy that have nothing to do with medical care. The United States uh, population, the United States uh, cultural uh, aspects, the United States uh, in so many ways differs from other countries. We have the the patients, the the population here has the highest percentage of risk factors for disease, self-inflicted disease like obesity and smoking, okay? We have a very heterogeneous population. We have people who don't go to the doctor uh, even though they could. You know, we have all kinds of things that impact life expectancy and infant mortality uh, as one florid example, which, of course, contributes to life expectancy. Infant mortality, the United States counts a live birth as any baby that's born with a single respiration or heartbeat, no matter what the weight of the baby, no matter what the prematurity of the baby, other countries, including those that we think are very similar in Western Europe, they don't count those babies as having been born. How have I never heard that before of all the times I've heard that statistic? Because as someone here at Hoover, one of my colleagues sadly said to me once, we're living in an era where facts don't matter. It seems that way, doesn't it? 
Scott Atlas is an expert on health care, health care reform. His book is Restoring Quality Healthcare: Six-Point Plan for Comprehensive Reform at Lower Cost. What do we, well, let me put it this way. The flip side of the coin uh, that you described of the incredible capabilities of American health care is that these miracles are available, but at a very, very high price. And, you know, in the 1950s, it wouldn't ruin the average family to get cancer treatment. Now, it's much more successful, obviously, but uh, it's devastatingly expensive. Uh, it's, it's, it's very expensive. And, and in fact, this is the only, or the, not the only, but the main problem with the U.S. healthcare system, and that is it's very expensive. When we look at projections, which, of course, never totally come true, but if you look at projections, the U.S. government will not have any money to spend on anything besides health care programs and Social Security in 2050. That means no money for national defense, no money for any domestic program, if nothing has changed. So the the question is, what do you do uh, to get the prices down without impacting in a harmful way the access to care or the quality of care? Because it's true that a government can push the prices down. And the way that's done in countries that have heavily dominated systems by government... I'm sorry, we've got about 20 seconds. ...is to restrict the access and supply of care. So here we we need to make sure that the patients have control of the money and are seeking value for their money, and that's where... Quality will stay high and prices will come down. Well, we're going to continue this conversation with your presentation this morning. We look forward to that. Yeah, thanks very much for the time. We appreciate it. It's a hell of a lot of ground to cover in a ridiculously short time, but well done. I've got 30 more questions. It's got to be frustrating to show up at these radio shows and talk about this complicated (laughs) issue. It's tough to be so succinct. Yeah, exactly. He has a smile on his face. Um, More on the way. Stay with us. You're listening to the Armstrong and Getty Show.